Welcome to the podcast of Destiny Community Church. Today we are on week three of our series, Miracles. The first week we looked at John chapter 2, where Jesus performed the first of his miracles at a wedding in Cana. And throughout the book of John, the writer refers to the miracles that Jesus performed as signs. They were signs. And that's because miracles point to something beyond themselves. Every miracle that Jesus performed pointed to something beyond the immediate need. It it was there to to fix an immediate need. He performed the miracle to to bless someone's life. But the miracles would always be a sign to point beyond that immediate need. And the miracle at the wedding of Cana was no exception because it pointed us uh, uh, into the future towards the marriage supper of the Lamb that will take place. And that first week we realized that even though there is a bigger picture to these signs, even though there's a bigger picture, God is concerned with every matter of your life. No matter how big or small your situation is, I I assure you it matters to God. And then last week we looked at John chapter 4 and the events leading up to Jesus healing the royal official's son from 17 miles away. Jesus just said the word and and, and he was healed instantly 17 miles away. And I told you that one word from God will change your life. And the result was not only a healed son, but that his entire household believed in Jesus and that he was the Messiah. Today, I want us to look at the miracle of Jesus feeding the 5,000. Besides the resurrection of Christ, this is the only miracle that caught the attention of all four of the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they each share a similar account, but they also offer some, some individual details unique to each one of their books. It's like when Mandy and I tell the story of how we, we got together. And some of you know that I was, I was dating someone at the time. And when I tell the story, I tell of how I was invited over to their house one night, to her parents' house, uh, to, to watch a Garth Brooks concert that had been recorded uh, um, on their VHS tapes at their house. And so as the night went on, the family seemed to scatter. I don't know if that was part of Mandy's big plan or not, but the family scattered out of the living room. <laughs> I was sitting on one end of the couch, Mandy was sitting on the other end of the couch, and now with no one in between us, somehow Mandy ended up sitting right next to me, and she kissed me. Even though I was dating someone else, Mandy kissed me. That's my story, and I'm sticking to it. And um, when, 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 you know, she initiated the kiss, what does it got to do, right? You know, so... Um, when she tells that story, she tells a, a few different details of that story. Hers is a lie, mine is the truth, and it's important for me to let you know that. When it comes to the four Gospels, one book is not any more or any less true than, than the other book. It, it's just they tend to focus on the details that stood out to them. They were four distinct individuals. Um, and, and different personalities. And so obviously they would pick up on certain parts of the story very differently. And Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they tend to, to kind, of, kind of gravitate together. They kind of tell the same stories and often John tells uh, uh, different stories, different accounts of the life of Christ. And as it is with different personalities and interests, there are different highlights to each writer's interpretation of the life of Christ and the ministry of Christ. There are times when something stands out to them about their experience, and to them, to this particular writer, these are important details, and there is a purpose for them telling you these details. 
it's important for us to realize what was weighing on Jesus that day. Matthew and Mark, they both tell us that Jesus had just received the devastating news that his cousin and his closest rabbinic uh, ally, John the Baptist, his cousin, um, that he had just been beheaded, that he had just been murdered by King Herod. And John was very outspoken about King Herod and his relationship with his brother's wife, Herodias. And, and John was outspoken about this, which landed him in prison. And, and Herodias wanted him dead. And, and she convinced her daughter to go into a, a party that, that, that King Herod was, was hosting. And go in there and dance for them. Get their attention and then request. They're going to tell you whatever you want. Sure enough, she goes in there. Uh, she seduces these men. And King Herod says, whatever you want, dear. Whatever you want, it, it's yours. And she says, I want the head of John the Baptist. And uh, she, she literally delivers the head of John the Baptist on a silver platter to her mother. It's, it's, it's a gruesome, gruesome story. And, and um, John's disciples, they bring this heartbreaking news to Jesus just before he feeds the 5,000. They bring the, the, this, this news to him. And, and Jesus wants to get alone and, and reflect. He, he needs to, to get his mind together and... and but Jesus gives us this wonderful example of what to do when you feel like isolating yourself. Because it happens. It happens to the best of us. Uh, troubles hit in life and we want to isolate ourselves. And Jesus gives us this great example that, that when you feel like isolating yourself, you submerge yourself in ministering to others. No man can become an island, especially when it comes to ministry. And the enemy has a unique way of getting you away from the protection of your calling. And your calling is always going to involve others. Understand that. Your calling will always involve other people. And so rather than become depressed in isolation, Jesus ministers to others. He cares for others. I'm going to do something very unique today. I'm going to start in Matthew chapter 14, reading the, the account of Jesus feeding the 5,000. Halfway through the story, I'm going to jump over to John chapter 6. This series, we've kind of been focusing on the book of John. And so we're going to start with Matthew chapter 14, verse 13. And after we read a few verses there, we're going to jump immediately right over to John chapter 6. John chapter 6. Starting with Matthew 14 and verse 13. Now when Jesus heard this, when he heard about his, his cousin, John the Baptist, being murdered. Now when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. But when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them and healed their sick. And so now we see Jesus just getting out of the boat. He begins to heal their sick. Now when it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the day is now over. Send the crowds away to go into the villages and buy food for themselves. But Jesus said, They need not go away. You give them something to eat. Now we will jump immediately over to John chapter 6. We'll pick it up at verse 8. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish. But what are they for so many? Jesus said, have the people sit down. And there was much grass in the place. So the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were, who were seated. So also the fish as much as they wanted. 
And when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, this is indeed the prophet who has come into the world. This is such an amazing and interesting miracle performed by Christ. This is one of those rare miracles that we read about that directly affects more than one person at the same time. Besides the resurrection of Christ that directly affected all who trust Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior, this is by far the miracle that met the needs of the most people all in one moment. Matthew chapter 14 and verse 21 lets us in on, on, on this little bit of information that those who ate were about 5,000 men besides women and children. So Matthew chooses not to include the women and children in his count. There's 5,000 men besides the women and children. When you read Mark, Luke, and, and even John, as we read today in their gospels, both or all three of them mention that there were 5,000 men there. There is no mention of any women. There's no mention of any children being there. And I, I want to explain this to you because there is, there's such a trend in our nation right now to, to, to find some way to be offended. And so I want to help you with this. It's not that the writers were sexist in any way. Uh, they probably only mentioned the men because much of the Bible was written in masculine form because men were the educated members of society. It, it wasn't that women were not smarter. It, it wasn't that they were not as smart. It's just that men were the ones who were educated. They were the ones who went to school to learn how to read and write. And, and, and so it would be appropriate for writers of, of the Gospels, writers of the Bible, to write the Bible in masculine form since men were probably the ones who were going to be reading that. Some sociologists believe that a fair estimate of how many people were there that day would be based off of a five to one ratio of women and children to men. Now, when you think about that and you, you add up those numbers, that would mean that there possibly could have been somewhere around 25,000 people there on that hillside that day. I have no idea. There's no way for us to know this. Some scholars believe that the majority of the people there that day were men. Many scholars believe that the majority were men, and that's simply why the three of the Gospels said that there were 5,000 men. One of the Gospels said there were 5,000 men, not counting the women and children, simply because the majority of the crowd were men. And these people were looking for a leader to lead a revolt against the suppression of, of, or the oppression of the Roman Empire. And so they, they, they were looking for a leader. And could Jesus possibly be that leader? Some of them had to be thinking that. Could Jesus be the one that is going to lead us? And I'm sure that they, were, that they were hoping so, that they were even praying, some of them, that this would be the leader that would rise up. And so it's possible, it's possible. I, I think it's far-fetched, but it's possible that 5,000 men showed up that day to enlist in the army of the Lord. They, they want to fight. They want to go against the Romans. And, and, and some scholars believe that in multiplying the loaves and the fish, that maybe Jesus was proving that he could feed an army. I'm not sure I buy into the army theory, but, but I can prove to you that the majority of the crowd that day were men. I can prove it. It's very simple. I, I think it's all right there in our text today. I can prove to you that the majority of the, the people in that crowd that day were men. And it's simply this. They all forgot to pack a lunch. <laughs> because if women were there, 
If women were there, they would have thought ahead, they would have thought ahead and they would have packed provisions. Women, this is a perfect place for you to say amen. 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 Nobody, nobody thought about bringing food. What's wrong with these people? Nobody thinks about bringing food. Bless her heart, Alexa starts thinking about lunch the moment she gets to work. <laughs> My daughter, she's the same way. We eat lunch and where are we going to eat dinner? And nobody thinks about packing a lunch. John 6 and 9 tells us these four words. There is a boy. There's a lot of power in those four words. There is a boy. John tells us that the five loaves and the two fish belong to a, a young boy. One boy, not a family, one child. One child had the only food that could be found for miles. And when it started getting dark, the disciples become concerned. This was their nice way of telling Jesus, hey, Rabbi, you're long-winded today. These people have been listening for hours. Surely they're hungry. It's time, it's time to stop. Shouldn't we send them away so they can go to, to nearby villages and, and get something to eat? And Jesus says, don't send them away. You feed them. Uh, you've got to love the preparedness of this little boy. But there's grown men and women there that are that were so caught up in the hype of Jesus. They, they watched him as, as he's trying to get away to a desolate place. They watch his boat from the shore and, and they follow this crowd of 5,000 plus people. They follow him walking the shore until he finally comes ashore and, and then he immediately starts healing their sick. And they are so caught up in that, that they all forget to pack a lunch. But this little boy is prepared and he thought ahead and he brought provisions. Isn't it very interesting that God uses someone that others didn't even count? Nobody else even thought about counting the women and the children. But God says, that's the very one that I want to use. Because God has always used people that seemed insignificant. You think about Gideon. Gideon was a self, he was self-described as being the least of the weakest tribe. That's how he described himself. Insignificant. Rahab, just a washed up prostitute that God used to protect his spies. Naomi, a widow with no one left, just one daughter-in-law. That's all she's got. Husband's dead, two sons are dead, and one daughter-in-law has deserted her. She has no more family, but, but God used her to lead that one daughter-in-law back to him and back to her people. Think about David. When Samuel came and, and asked Jesse, he said, God is telling me that I am to anoint the king the next king of Israel is in your household. Will you get all your boys together and line them up? And, and, and he lines them all up. Youngest, or oldest to the youngest. Samuel starts walking down the line and God says, he's not here. The next king is not here. 
there's got to be another. Jesse didn't even invite his youngest son, David. It's such a big opportunity for this family. But he is so insignificant. He's back on the back 40 tending what his oldest brother would call a few sheep. And he's, he's out there tending his few sheep when they send for him and say, listen, there's a guy up there by the name of Samuel and he is handpicking the next king of Israel. He wants to see you. And this ruddy little kid is anointed as the next king of Israel. And there was a boy with five loaves of bread and two fish. And the narrative didn't even count him, but God did. Regardless of how many people were actually there, there there's no possible way that five loaves of bread and two fish can feed 5,000 men plus women and children, ever how many there were, we don't know. But what this boy had, we know this for sure, for certain. We've got the inventory on this, we know. What this boy had was not enough to feed this multitude. And this is where the miracle takes place. Because God blessed something that was not enough. Let me ask you, what do you have in your life right now? That's simply not enough. What is that? What does that look like in your life? You've got it. There's something that is lacking in your life. There's something that that, that is a part of you that that it doesn't measure up. It's it's not successful. It's it's not fertile soil. It's not working. But God blessed something that was not enough. And in that moment, along John Silver's value meal, five hush puppies and a couple of fish becomes a seafood buffet in the hands of Jesus. Because he blessed something that was not enough. You know where my mind just went? Just forgive me, I'm just going to rant just for a moment. You ever had those little crumbs from Long John Silver's? That's all I could think about when I said that. That's the only thing I like from Long John Silver's is just the fried crumbs. That's just it. It's, I've got a whole nother service after you. How am I going to make it? I, I just, all I want is fried crumbs right now. That's it. Just, just, that's where my mind went. Until you can trust God with something that is not enough, you will never experience God miraculously multiplying it into something that is more than enough. Until you can trust God with whatever it is that's not enough... He will never be able to bless it and make it more than enough. You're in that dead-end job right now. Your career has tanked. Until you are willing to do all things to the glory of God, including your mundane job, God will never be able to multiply nothing and make it into something. Maybe it's your finances right now. Maybe your finances are just not measuring up. You've got, you know what it looks like. You've got more bills than you do money. And until you learn to trust God with those finances, until you are willing to give him something that does not measure up, something that is lacking, something that is not enough, until you are willing to put that into the hands of the Savior, hands of the Master, until you're willing to do that, 
you will never experience the blessing of multiplication. Or maybe it's your marriage. You look at other people and you look at their marriage and your marriage does not compare. Your marriage is lacking. And until you are willing to put your marriage in the hands of the man that can bless it, you will never see the miracle that God wants to perform in your marriage. Because at some point you have to be thankful for what he has done and not what he's going to do. Because you still have a husband. Because you still have a job. Because as of right now, there is an income. And until you're willing to put that into his hands, you see, whatever you put into the hands of God, that means, God, I trust you with this. God, I trust you with my career. God, I trust you with my finances. God, I trust you with my marriage. And I'm putting it in your hands. And until you're willing to do that, you will never experience his miracle working power in whatever area it is that you need to learn to trust him in. I hear the skeptic. I hear you. But pastor, my need is too great. You don't understand. And I'm so glad you said that. You'll never recognize the greatness of a miracle until you have experienced the greatest of needs. And I've been there. This has absolutely nothing to do with money. It has everything to do with how great your need is. The greater the need, the greater the opportunity for a miracle. I didn't always see it that way, but God has taught me that. That the greater the need is in my life, the greater the opportunity is for God to do something miraculous in my life. Let me show you what I'm talking about. I read on Forbes.com that the biggest sports stars on the planet had another banner year with the top 100 earning athletes banking over a combined $3 billion. $3 billion. Uh, I'm not used to dealing with that much money. And, and so I, I, I did the, 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 the math here, and, and I think I did it right. I'm not positive because I'm, I'm not used to dealing with this amount of money. But that's, if you just average that out, I know, I know you can't do that, but if you just average it out, that's 100 athletes making over $30 million last year. Just for the year, $30 million over one year. 100, 100 people. You can give an already overpaid millionaire athlete a significant pay increase or a bonus and it's business as usual. It's not a miracle. And we're talking millions of dollars here. But you give them that, that, that pay increase and nobody bats an eye. It, it's, it's actually expected and they will take the field or they will take the court and they'll perform that next game just like they did the game before. There's no big change in it. It's just the way it is. It's expected. You're going to pay them this much money. But you take a man that is down on his luck and he's lost his $35,000 a year job. His home was foreclosed on. His truck was repossessed and his dog got ran over. You take that man and you offer to buy his lunch 
And you might just be the miracle in his life that day because the need is so great. And suddenly you see it differently that just when you buy his lunch, you become the hands of God in his life. You pay that man's utility bill and, and he sees God moving and working as his family gets to eat hot meals and take hot showers and they get to enjoy electricity and they get to enjoy air conditioning for the next month. And suddenly in that moment, just that little bit of money, just two or three hundred dollars paying that electric bill, it means the world to that man, that man because the, the bigger the need, the greater the miracle. And you giving five hundred dollars and God provides Christmas for his children. And it's a miracle. I know. Because I remembered when we invited our first guest speaker to Destiny Community Church in December of 2006. We were not meeting in here. We were at the student center across the street. And I invited my friend Dennis Page to come and speak We'd never had a guest speaker at our church. And we took up a, a small offering for him that day, very insignificant amount. And after church, Dennis and Judy, they invited me and my family out to lunch. We went to the Macaroni Grill. It's not even there anymore, but that's where we went. We had a great lunch, and when it came time to pay the bill, he wouldn't let me pay the bill. He was our guest speaker. That's how you do it. That's, that's the custom. That's, that's what you're supposed to do. You take your guest speaker out to lunch, and he wouldn't let, let me pay for it. He paid for our meal, and his wife gave Mandy an envelope, a, a Christmas card. What you don't know is that we didn't have the money to buy our family Christmas. And my wife had been believing God for a specific amount of money just so that we can buy Caleb and Kendall, who were little kids at the time, just so that we can buy them Christmas. We get in the car very humble they just bought our lunch you know when you when you need money you ever notice that you don't wait till you get home to open the cards <laughs> Mandy tore into that card and she turned and looked at me with tears in her eyes And it was the exact amount that she was believing God for so that we could have Christmas, $500. And to a young church planter and his wife, that was like a $10 million signing bonus. To us, it was God multiplying the bread and the fish to us it was a miracle 
Whatever you're willing to put into his hands is what he's willing to multiply. God has never let us down. God has always been faithful. Thank you for listening to the podcast of DCC. For service times and directions, log on to www.destinycommunitychurch.org. Thanks again for listening.